episode four of the Nothing New Podcast. Today on Nuts, Gareth and I will be discussing lots of passage. Welcome to our listeners, and welcome Gareth. Thanks, Dane. Good to be here with you. It's been a while since our last recording, so happy to get into the passage to about the wisdom that Jesus brings to our lives. All right, yes, it very, very certainly is good to be back. Um, now, rites of passage is something that I've been interested in for, for a number of years. Uh, as a teacher and as a, a father, I came across the work and workshops of Dr. Arno Rubenstein, an, an Australian GP, now um, making of men and rites of passage trainer. Um, and he advocates the need for boys and girls to undergo a formal transition from child to adult, um, something many cultures and community, communities have done for millennia, um, both prehistorically in, in you know small group and tribe settings, um, and in larger settings um, as part of civilization. Um, he he saw the the toxic lack of rites of passages in some of his patients, and I think he was particularly sad seeing nine and ten year old boys come in full of life with you know mum accompanying mum or dad for a GP visit. And then seeing those same boys at 14 and 15 as sullen, uh, unresponsive teenagers. And rather than accepting that as that's the way things are, he did some research and, and found out that rites of passage can help. Um, he sees the mental health problems caused by, you know, what we would call toxic masculinity, um, where he thinks that, you know, the psychological maturity of our young men um, doesn't quite match their physical maturity and, and the rite of passage helps them kind of make that leap um, psychologically to what they can pursue with their physical strength. Uh, he does it with girls and women now as well. Um, and I went to a workshop, it was fantastic, one of the best things that I, I, I've been to. Um, and you know the, the process of a rite of passage, you're separated from your community or your old role, you undergo transition, which includes things such as storytelling and uh, affirmation of your strengths as a person um, in a recognition phase, and then you finally return as a new person and then ready to take on a new role in your community or your family or or whichever group you are talking about. Um, As I said, they're old. The Spartans had a really intense rite of passage where they'd take 13-year-old boys away to an agoge, I think is the correct way to say it, and they stayed there till they were 21. Wow. Um, to train, train how to be warriors and, and men in the Spartan culture. Um, one of my favourites, Gareth, Pinocchio. Um, it's Yeah, it's about a puppet, but it's really a, a rite of passage, going from mm. puppet with strings, other people pulling pulling them and controlling you to making your own decisions as a as a man, and you know, a real boy is code for men in that respect. Um, and our goal here is to find links with some of our modern day issues and problems and solutions with the Bible. So I'll throw it over to you, Gareth, but I'm thinking spending 40 days in the desert on your own sounds very rite of passage to me. It does. Yeah, it does sound like a rite of passage. And I think when we're talking about rites of passage, we often think of the etymology of that word and we often associate it with rituals as well. Uh, and so um, there's a ceremonial kind of quality to them that we think about as in usually there's some sort of public acknowledgement that comes with a rite of passage. Uh, There's a recognition of others that that person has made it through um, that transformation. And yeah, Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness that you referred to earlier, it's recorded in um, the Gospels, uh, is one of those very publicly recorded events. And the interesting thing about it is that the 
key witness to it all uh, is the devil. Um, he is the one that's there to observe that rite of passage uh, of Jesus's, uh, and then we have it recorded for us uh, in uh, the Gospels to learn from that. Yeah. Okay. So, what led? What was the the circumstances leading up to Jesus spending his forty days in the wilderness? <clears throat> okay, because you know that was the, the separation phase. Um, but you know, what was he trying to fulfil to? I suppose what was he undergoing a rite of passage to do? Yeah. You know, what was the passage to or into where? It well, it, it comes immediately after his his baptism. So, uh, which again, in, that in, in and of itself is. Uh, often described as a rite of passage uh, for Christians um, and one that um, John the Baptist ha had begun in his ministry um, out near the River Jordan where he was uh, baptising people for the repentance of sins um, and that was a preparatory kind of action. He was preparing people for uh, the arrival of their Messiah. Um, he was looking forward to the time when um, God's promised king, uh, the anointed one as the Messiah means, would come, and so it is when uh, Jesus comes for baptism uh, that John realizes that this is the man that he's been waiting for. And also at that time, um, there is this moment where Jesus emerges out of the water after being baptized. Uh, that a voice comes down from heaven that says that the Spirit descended upon him like a dove, um, and the Spirit from heaven, or the voice from heaven, sorry, which is God the Father, says, This is my beloved Son, and I take delight in him. So, and then it says that immediately after that, after having received the Spirit at baptism, it's the Spirit that leads Jesus out into the wilderness. Uh, it's the Spirit that takes Jesus out there. And so, this rite of passage that Jesus goes on is part of him um, fulfilling his role as the Messiah as God's chosen king. Well, I think you know that dovetails really well with <coughs> excuse me some of that some of the ideas with a rite of passage, um, which I did with the making of men. And one of the things they speak about there is is the idea of people being recognised for their genius. Uh, you know, and, and we can trace genius back to you know the same thing as genie when we think of Aladdin and you know allowing something out of the out of the lamp, you've just, okay. got, a, you've just got a rub on it and it, it appears. Right. Um, so one of the ideas with the rite of passage is that, yeah, you're a child moving into, into a teenagerhood and then to become an adult mm -hmm. and you've got promise to fulfil um, mm -hmm. and you're going to have obligations as, a, as an adult, mm -hmm. which you don't have now as a child mm -hmm. and, and to, you know, to give up your childlike ways um, and meet those obligations. Um, so... I'm thinking there it sounds like, you know, Jesus was the anointed one. He had a great genius that he had to share with the world mm -hmm. and share with his people. Um, so on a, are those parallels the, the right things to draw? Um, on, in a larger scale, obviously, but, you know, am I on the right track? You're on the right track, definitely. And I think that we yet yeah, understand exactly what that, that genius or those things that he was revealing, uh, we have to understand... Uh, the nature of, I guess, what's often called the tests or tribulations that Jesus faced uh, in those 40 days in the wilderness. So if we're familiar with the story, he's there, he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. So it mentions there very specifically that he was hungry. Uh, and so that's a very helpful thing for us to remember, that while this is a guy who's led by the Holy Spirit, he's God's chosen king, this is a human being who is enduring these experiences. And so the feeling of hunger, the feeling of uh 
isolation, uh, desolation, uh, are real tangible feelings. They're not just things that he could uh, just deny um, because he was just this esoteric being. He's a real man who experiences these things. And is that, sorry to cut in, is that okay. when, well, you know, we probably would consider some, in some ways that we've got an existential crisis. Mm-hmm. People, you know, don't have meaning in their life. Mm. People are hungering, people feel de- desolate, mm-hmm. um, and the rite of passage can help overcome that. Yeah, I think that this, you know, this especially when we understand just exactly what it is that Jesus went through and why, um, we'll come back to this, but the idea is that this, these testings and these trials, this rite of passage he went through was not just for himself. Yes, it verified him as the Messiah, but it also established that here is the one who is fulfilling an obligation uh, that had been long-standing, that God's people had failed uh, to fulfil uh, in many instances. So, the forty-day period, you know, that's so it's somewhat synonymous with the forty years that God's people spent wandering in uh, the desert, and particularly the the challenges that Satan brings to uh, Jesus during this these forty days recall those particular challenges that Israel had and failed at. So the very first one, you know, when Jesus is hungry, it says there that the tempter approaches him and says, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now that's a great pithy little comeback, uh, and he's taking it straight out of the Bible, and we often stop there and say, you know, he's showing the devil that... Uh, he trusts in God's word, which is true, he does. But the interesting thing is that the very uh, passage of Scripture Jesus draws upon is in relationship to that event where God's people were starving in the wilderness and God provided manna from heaven for them on a daily basis and they had to trust God that that provision would be there. But it was about not trusting in the food, but about trusting in God and taking him at his word. Uh, And so... God's people didn't in that instance. You know, they were told you'll get just enough for each day. Don't keep any extra. It'll turn to turn to rot and get maggots infested. They said, "Yep, yeah, no worries. We won't do that," and they did, and it turned to maggots. And um, that was the the de- <coughs> the demonstration there of their lack of faithfulness and their inability to take God uh, at His word. And mm. you know, going to that Moses story there. As we've spoken about in some earlier podcasts, that type of pattern um, over scale and time is quite common in the yeah. in the Bible. It's, it's a quite a coherent book, mm-hmm. even though it was written over you know many many years and by different yeah. different people mm. and different accounts. It's got that um, nothing's ever said in isolation. It kind of hyperlinks back to something else. If we we're going to look at it, and maybe the world's first hyperlinked. Document definitely, definitely, <coughs> it's definitely a, a cross-referenced um, uh, book, and you know, and we think in thinking you, you mentioned Moses there. Um, the other way that we can think of this event as a rite of passage is that yes, Jesus is doing those things on behalf of Israel, the obligations they failed to fulfil, but both Moses, um, the great prophet, um, and the, one, or the great man who brought the law for God's people. And then Elijah, that great prophet, both of those men fa- faced a period of 40 days of isolation in the wilderness. Um, Moses up on Mount Sinai um, receiving the law, uh, and Elijah had a 40-day period where he was heading towards um, 
Mount Sinai when he was escaping the fact that uh, King Ahab was effectively had this pogrom against all of God's prophets and was eliminating them. Uh, and both of these men, um, in both instances, Moses receives God's word in its fullest form at the revelation of the law, gives it to the people. And Elijah goes saying, Lord, you know, they've taken all the prophets are dead, you know, and I'm in trouble. And he wants to hear a new revelation and a new word from God that will give him, you know, the purpose to go back and face uh, Ahab. And instead he gets what's called the thin slip of silence. As in God's way of saying, you don't need any more from me. You know what I have uh, told you to do. My my word is sure. Take me at my word. Uh, And so the fact that Jesus is taken by the the devil up on a mountaintop uh, and told, you know, this is the moment where uh, he says, verse 8 says, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, and he said to them, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus told him, Go away, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. So here is Jesus' own mountaintop, Mount Sinai experience, uh, and the one that the law of Moses and the prophets of Elijah had pointed forward to is here, and he has the same message that's been there for millennia. Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. It seems a, a big central theme there is the, the issue of doubt and, and trust um, in terms of there'll be lots of transitions that people need to make mm-hmm. and they don't because they doubt themselves or they doubt you know the path that they are they are on um, and I'm sure there'll be people who are who are Christians who would doubt the wisdom of God sometimes and mm-hmm. look at say well I really don't want to do that um, and you know that lack of trust and, and doubting both yourself and others well let's go back a little bit further now then then Gareth we spoke about these narratives and meta narratives um, and Jesus has promised to be fulfilled is the is original sin a rite of passage story? That separation from paradise and trying to get back there. In Genesis 3, you're referring to? The yes. Original, yeah. Well, I guess you could look at it in that light. I mean, there's, I think, a, a, taking a rite of passage lens to certain passages uh, of Scripture isn't uh, necessarily uh, the wrong thing to do. Um, it's definitely a possible way of seeking to understand the text, um, especially when I think there are some elements of what we've talked about already, about what rites of passage entail, um, it can offer some valuable insight. Is it, is it the main way that I would want to sit down and exegete um, Genesis 3? Probably not. Um, but I think the idea there of um, the expectation, very similar again, that God had given uh, the injunction about not eating from that tree to Adam and Eve, um, and the, their obligation to fulfil that was not um, was not by anything other than taking God at His word. So it was about understanding the the security and the authenticity of their relationship with God. It was about knowing that God had their their best interests and good interests in mind in the way that he had spoken to them. And I think we've mentioned this before also when we've talked about rules, <coughs> is that 
um, the prohibitions given in the Bible are actually quite finite and that God leaves it, it is good for God to leave us with quite a ra- wide scope for freedom and an understanding of how we can uh, grow to understand his will and work out his will through faith uh, and experience by being free to do many, many other things. Like There are only, there are only ten commandments and the many other prohibitions that go with that are kind of limited within the, the frame of those ten. So, yeah, in that sense there, that same thing we've already talked about, about the fact that many other times that God's people fail to heed, um, take God of his word, original sin is where that comes about. And so since then, you know, even given at that in the curses that follow, um, there is the promise of um, the one who will have his heel uh, struck by the serpent, but will also crush the head uh, of the serpent. And so there is that promise of that long-awaited one, the serpent crusher, um, who is going to be the means by which um, that rite of passage of returning to that right relationship with God can to come about. Yeah. And yeah, there, there would be no need for Jesus, though, without original sin. So it's, it's, it's the, the end of that story, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I mean, he is the serpent crusher that's foretold, um, you know, and the the way that the cross unfolds is exactly like that is what happens. The, the sting of death takes Jesus' life uh, on the cross, and yet it's at that moment that the one who is the perfect righteousness of God, who death has no claim on, by the fact that death takes him, death is going to be overcome because this is the one who um, the father must raise this son uh, because of his righteousness and holiness. And so it's this you know, this double knockout blow um, that uh, is secured at the cross in, in, that, in, in that moment. And what's next then in terms of a rite of passage? You know, we, the, the death and the resurrection... What more? You know, what more is it there in that story? Well, the, the, we now live in what we, what we would call um, the last days. Um, and as Christians, we kind of have a foot in both realms. Um, we're very much spoken of as being citizens of heaven, um, that we are, are, we are already united to Jesus, and Jesus now sits uh, on um, his, at the Father's right hand in heaven. So there's that sense in, in which we are, are already in those on the other side of the last days, but then we still inhabit our bodies and still inhabit this planet, and we await for Jesus' return. And there are many other, if you like, rites of passage that await us, um, especially when we consider that the... The interim time now is where Christians uh, expect to be sanctified. That means they expect to grow in their understanding of God's will, um, of God's wisdom. They expect to put to death um, sinful habits and thoughts and words. Uh, they expect to change. Um, and there are, you know, there are numerous other, you know, rites of passage that we all acknowledge, Christian or not, that. Um, Christians experience so there's every likelihood um, that they'll go through moving into the workplace um, perhaps they'll get married um, they'll experience um, grief uh, as they lose loved ones um, they'll face illness uh, all those different things that are the the every man experience 
uh, the things that Christians will face, um, but I think they face them a little bit differently. Yeah. I think for me personally there, you know, I'm probably on a rite of passage myself, you know, which is the reason this podcast has come along, mm-hmm. in that I've made a bit of a separation from my old life, and I'm nowhere near on the other side yet. I'm still in that that transitioning phase. I mean, you know, I'm still enamoured with the stories and, you know, picking them up picking them apart and um, mm. and at some stage I will I will get there I'm, I'm, I'm sure of that um, and, and I think that that is that's part of what uh, Christians understand about the difference in their rites of passage and that it's clear that when someone has that uh, draw towards God's word and a draw towards understanding and um, having a different perspective about Jesus that that's not just an intellectual pursuit that you're on that's the the Holy Spirit is is at work in you now, and that's what is uh, what eventually, as we're told in one Corinthians one, brings anyone <coughs> brings anyone to uh, an understanding or a realization or an acceptance of the gospel. Uh, it's not by their own um, powers of deduction. It's by the work of the Holy Spirit changing the way that their the affections of their heart and their mind uh, and the way that they think. Uh, and so I think that's how, when I think about the other rites of passage, like marriage, for example, is one we've talked about um, before. Marriage is a rite of passage that many of us go through, but a Christian has a different, an extra layer of understanding to that marriage, that marriage is meant to be the relationship that God's established. It's like a, it's what we call an accommodation. It's the best possible model we can picture and understand that explains how Jesus relates to his church. Uh, and so that actually informs or adds a different layer of uh, gravity to um, marriage uh, for Christians. And that also means that um, the, you know, marriage is not the day. It's the change of lifestyle that comes with it that goes on, um, you know, until death do us part. And so that means that there are many other changes that come along with that. And they are affected in the life of the believer by their own striving to love their spouse and uh, fulfil their marital obligations, but also because the Holy Spirit changes the way they think and act about their spouse uh, and about their role as a husband or a wife. They become a different person. They do. They're, they're a completely different person with completely new role, obligations, responsibilities, rights, yeah. and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, and like it's a voice, it's, it's publicly pronounced. Yeah. You know, that's, what, that's what's so central about marriages is that they're these public proclamations that... Uh, you know, the minister says, I now announce, declare you husband and wife. You go from being random man and random woman to being husband and wife. Yeah. Uh, so that rite of passage is observed uh, and witnessed and testified to. Yeah. I think that probably leads us back to our original discussion about, you know, this, this rite of passage between childhood and adulthood, which, which has been lost. There are fewer and fewer markers that really say that well, you are now an adult, you know, in the, in the past, it would have been something like you being apprenticed off to a master to learn a craft. And, yeah. you know, your passage to adulthood was, I can contribute to society now in a, you know, meaningful way because I'm, I'm a craftsman, a master craftsman, mm. and I've learned, you know, I did my apprenticeship, I'm finished. Yep. Um, and there are some in terms of our school pathways where we say, okay, well, we matriculate with the HSC or, or whatever it is, mm. but with education stretching out further and further and more and more going to university. So are you an adult when you've finished high school or do you have to wait for university? And 
and we get that situation, I suppose, where, which is more and more common, you've got 30-year-olds still living in mum and dad's basement, um, and they might be studying or they might be playing video games or whatever they're doing, um, which, and I think, you know, let's go back to the Old Testament. It's not necessarily just a new phenomenon. Um, Abraham stayed with his dad till... 75, 80, something like that. He, he, he didn't leave home and become a, an adult in the real sense. A late bloomer, a late bloomer, yes. Yeah, we frame it as a late bloomer <laughs> these days. Um, and then, you know, just hang around to, to be 100 before he decided to start having having kids, which is probably... And he, la- had, he had cold feet at 100 too, so... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so late even for modern standards, that, that probably probably is. Um, let's explore this theme of adulthood... Um, and the importance of it, I suppose. If we're going to tell people that we need to have a rite of passage, being a child is no longer a good thing. You know, it's good to be a child when you're a child. Um, but let's look at those the commandments again. And I know I, I come back to them often because it's probably one of my first ways I've jumped into this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Honour your father and your mother. Um, I see that as quite important from a rite of passage point of view because... Your father and mother are the main adults in your life. They model adulthood to you, mm-hmm. and that seems to be some of the basis for, for that commandment, um, that these are adults. It's a good thing to be an adult worth emulating. Mm-hmm. Is that, am I on the right track there? Does that, does that make sense, or yeah, am well, I reading too much? No, I mean, you know, the, the, again, we come back to that idea of, of maturity in Christ, um, the goal for the Christian is to to move, if you like, into into adulthood. Um, uh, but there's always that kind of uh, two edges to it, in that um, moving into maturity in Jesus Christ actually means growing further and further uh, in dependence upon Him. And so that kind of seems countercultural because we often think of rites of passage and coming to adulthood about gaining. Uh, an independence uh, and you know an autonomy and a responsibility. Yeah. Um, and that does come. There is a maturity and a wisdom and some, especially for, uh, is moving into adulthood and if you have the responsibility of being a parent, there are many kinds of roles where you are in charge and you have to take charge uh, and lead. Um, but Paul often speaks about the idea of being uh, describing us as like we should be like newborn babies who crave pure spiritual milk. Um, we are ultimately dependent upon the Word of God for everything that we do. Uh, and I think that becomes, as we grow and face, whether you're Christian or not, I think you grow and you face the world, it becomes more and more complex. It becomes doesn't become easier to navigate. Uh, it actually, there, as more burdens and responsibilities fall upon you, you can actually feel more and more inadequate uh, to fulfil those obligations. And so that's where I think the dependence of a child um, that uh, is, you know, is modeled the way Jesus calls his, his disciples to be, to come to him like that, and Paul speaks about it, as I mentioned before, that's actually what we're supposed to um, aspire to in, in that rite of passage. It's about actually relinquishing that control over ourselves that our, our sinfulness drives us to think. Our sinfulness drives us to think that we are the be-all and end-all of right and wrong and responsibility and obligation. Um, but uh, sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus, is about having the Spirit wrench 
our claws off our control of our ego and our consciousness and giving it over to Jesus Christ and becoming like Jesus Christ. Yeah. And for me, I see that paradox, though, as it's... That's liberating, not having that pressure. So, so it might be dependence in some way, mm. but it is independence from, from outside worry. That, that's, that's the way I would see it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and especially, too, when you have that idea that, um, as we said before, with Jesus in the wilderness and then Jesus at the cross, he fulfills those obligations to the Father that I can't, that in my sinfulness... I am just diametrically opposed uh, to doing God's will. And, and you talked about original sin. We are in, born into a sinful existence where our factory setting is to oppose God. And so I can't do it by myself. And so to, to know that I'm accepted in Jesus Christ means that I can learn how to navigate the various rites of passage that I find and know that I don't have to meet a perfect benchmark in doing that because I'm already accepted in Jesus uh, and now I just get to learn to live like him uh, through uh, his spirit refining me, through learning, through trials, through mistakes uh, and through uh, moments where, yeah, I, would I will feel the effects of my ongoing sinful behaviour and grieve that uh, and learn from that at the same time. Yeah, it, and I think we spoke about this in an earlier uh, podcast, it's not then an injunction to just go do nothing because mm -hmm. it's all taken care of. Mm -hmm. That's not that's not the attitude that you take. Well, Jesus has gone through this rite of passage for me already, so it's not up to me. I don't have to do anything. That's yeah. certainly not what's being said. No, 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 not at all. All right, well, we might wrap up there. Um, thanks for everyone for listening to our podcast number four on rites of passage. Uh, Gareth, I've had an enjoyable time again. I've, I've learned something. Um, putting more things in context for me. I uh, hope the listeners got something out of it as well. And we'll uh, see you next time in a couple of weeks with episode five. See you later. See you then. Thank you.